I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 34 of Season 6 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Caprest journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Niall McGowan of the Bat Minute. Welcome back to the show, Niall. Oh, I was almost out of here. I was, was going to go off to college and live a great, rich, and fulfilling life, but no, I'm stuck doing this podcast. God damn it. <laughs> No, I, I love being here, Rob. Thank you. Thank you again for, for having me. Having me no, I know you're having fun here. I'm, I'm, I always enjoy having you on. So we always see that these, these are minutes that have uh, things that, that, that are interesting that are going on. But, you know, we, we still find even more to talk about, you know, so yeah, yeah. because it's, it's, just a, a a, it's just a board meeting, just a board meeting, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is because like last time I was here talking about Die Hard too. <laughs> it's like it's a wonderful life. It's like there's a whiplash of uh, of topics right there. But uh, yeah, let's let's go for it. That's right. And uh, why not? You know, it's, a, it's it's the idea of of not necessarily doing the same thing over and over. You know. Mm. Yeah. No, totally, we need totally. to we need to switch things around a little bit here and there. So why not? You know. That works. So episode thirty four begins with. The words $5,000 and ends with Potter trying to get his motion seconded. Trying to move his motion along. You know, that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's sick of it already. We, we, we talked about yesterday that he was yawning. I'm surprised he hasn't already fallen asleep. Yeah. I mean, he's been waiting three weeks as well. <laughs> three months. <laughs> three months. Three months. Three months. Um, so yeah, I got my ideas. Is like just give me the damn building and loan with you already. That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I really, the thing I really love about this minute in particular, as we kind of alluded to uh, in previous episodes, is that you know George goes into a very passionate sort of um, diatribe, and in the background, in the same frame, is the portrait of his dad. Uh, which feels like you know it's the, the spirit of his father living on in his son. I think it's um it's obviously very deliberately you know positioned that way. As a guy that as he's at you know his most passionate talking about the business and about what's right, damn it, and all this kind of stuff. That it's actually you see his dad in the background as well. I think it's a it's a very nice touch that's done there. Right, because it's basically showing that that uh, you know he has gotten this whole. Uh, he, you know, part of his backbone for the whole thing comes from watching his father over the years doing all these things. Mm. Yeah, you know, George. Yeah. George obviously is more of a uh, he has more of a heart than than his father possibly did. You know, but but we never we never really got to see enough of his father 
you know, to, to, to understand how he did things and what he did. But we do know that he was able to keep the savings and load afloat for 25 years, despite mm. everything and fighting. You know, we, we know he's for at least 10 years has been having fights with uh, with Potter about it. You know, and he explains, he explained, you know, two weeks ago at the, at the dinner table, you know, he explained to George why, you know, why Potter is the way that he is. Hmm. So, you know, that, that helps also. And, and so to, 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 as you said, the, the fact that, that, that we can see him having this conversation and his father is more or less looking on, looking on maybe in an approving way. You know, maybe Hmm. you can look at it from that perspective. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's um yeah there's like yeah it's uh it's 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 almost literally like the specter of his dad. <laughs> it's, That's right. You know, it's, it's almost always cheesy in that way, but like, no, I think it's it's a it's a it's a really beautiful touch. Is Correct. there sometimes um okay because the film wasn't shown as much over here as it you know I know it's a its reputation in America is like oh it's on multiple times every Christmas every well you know why it's you yeah. know why you why it started becoming a Christmas favorite because. Uh, basically, they they allowed the copyright to run out, so therefore mm. anyone could use it and it would be free. And they just started showing it, and it just happened to be shown so much that it, it ended up becoming a Christmas favorite. That's, that kind of makes it even more ridiculous, though, that it's like there's not like you know there's not like a million remakes, or I guess there, there's a million remakes in that like TV shows and stuff will riff on it over and over. But like I'm really surprised that not they only remade it officially the one time. I thought there right. would have been the you know, the, you know, friggin' the, the the Grinch is getting tapped dry at the minute. You know, but why the, why remake something that's that's near perfect? You know, I mean, the Grinch, the Grinch, ne- you never cannot say is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. This is like you know, if it's it's an IP that people recognize, so we gotta go back to it. Uh, but the same thing, yeah, I love it. I love you. Know, no one's ever. I guess they did. Also, they made a TV show out of Casablanca. So when they realized one time it doesn't work, and then nowadays they're like, ah. That's an old movie. That's black and white. Nobody cares about that. Right. So they met them. But because of that, though, like I'm not uh, as familiar. But there's no scene where George tells his dad about like what happened with Mr. Gower. Like that's a genuine secret he keeps. Like no, we understand that because he says when when Clarence and Joseph are talking, it's mentioned that that Joseph said he never told a soul. He never told anybody. I was wondering if like if he told his dad what his dad would have thought about like. Oh yeah, so uh, you know he could he could have poisoned these these the, you know he could have poisoned this person, but like eh, you know I, I covered for him and stuff. Uh, it would be it was a real shock of his dad was like what? Oh my god, it's so reckless of you! What the he could have he could have poisoned like five more people that same day. Why do you have to tell somebody about these things? <laughs> um, that could have been the real thing. Yeah, if you just mentioned it to somebody else, <laughs> it might have been like Jesus, George, you can't just the guy's clearly unhinged. Somebody had to go in and tell them to, to close up shop for a couple of days or something at least. Yeah, but I mean that was ten years ago, and and he had a good enough reason for it. So yeah. <laughs> maybe something that mentioned like, yeah, there was like a Mr. Gower did there, there a lot of people with Mr. Gower's medication that week uh, ended up dying <laughs> weirdly later on too. Surprisingly, there were so many people who died of the Spanish flu in Bedford Falls that year. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. How did that happen? Joyce is like, oh, I was too. I'm also a little bit disappointed in that kid for not doing a Jimmy Stewart impression when he, when he was young, George. <laughs> Maybe he just didn't have the. But, you know, I mean, again, talking about, you know, comparing him to Chris Walken. In Batman Returns, the guy playing Chip Shrek, Max Shrek's Chris Walken's son, 
is flat out doing a Chris Walken impression. Oh, for that sure. That makes sense. Then. For sure. Uh, and and it really should have been like, you know, okay, oh, yes, oh, I'm going to go off and see the world. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, or, it's or, like or, what or, happened. It's like what happened in uh, Forrest Gump. You know, the Tom Hanks based his accent on the the kid who was who was yeah, him yeah, as a kid. Other groups got in. Um, I think it was in the, someone introduced me recently to like a version of uh, Merlin, like the story of Merlin, like a big three hour retelling of Merlin with Sam Neill. And yeah, that was there was a Rossellini. TV movie. There was a TV movie yeah, like yeah. in in the late nineties, early early aughts, something like that. Maybe it was nineteen ninety seven. Well, a friend of mine was just talking about like, oh, it's ridiculous because like you see at the start when they're younger, because Isabella Rossellini has such a distinct way of speaking, they have to just dub the actress playing her as a kid with Isabella Rossellini, <laughs> and it's just so glaring that it's just like a full grown <laughs> Isabella Rossellini's voice coming out of the you know this teenage girl and stuff. It just looks, it doesn't sync up properly and stuff. I was like, oh, wow, I have to see this. I'll sit through all three hours of that just to see that. Yeah. Um, Here, I was right. Yeah, it was, it was, it was it's 1998, and it's, uh, it was with uh, Sam Neill and uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Mm-hmm. And, um, John Gilgood, Rutger Hauer, James Earl Jones, <laughs> Miranda Richardson, Isabella Rossellini. There you go. You, you were right. Martin Short. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a best, but he has a, a pretty stellar cast for a TV movie in the 90s, to be fair. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but that was what I loved. Yeah, they had like you know Jimmy Stewart coming in to dub that kid or something like, oh, don't hurt my ear anymore now. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't sync up at all. Yeah, like, well, you know, people ask why the kid doesn't sound like him later on. So what do you want us to do? <laughs> well, maybe that's maybe could be why like, oh, his... it was the ear. The ear. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the ear made him changes uh, his voice. Who knows? <laughs> that would be interesting if that if that was the case. <laughs> Yeah. So, no, 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 okay. as the minute goes, as uh, as he's talking as well, though, just to further emphasize his father's portrait in the background, there is a very deliberate. He does a very deliberate kind of shoulder move, as if he's kind of moving in to Potter. I also believe that is like to highlight that the picture is behind him. So I just wanted to point that out as well. That like it wasn't just like oh, it happens in the background. I feel like they're actually positioning him within like the blocking of the scene and stuff as well to like mm-hmm. Jimmy, make sure you go over and stand in this uh, tilt your shoulder that way, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to, just wanted to point that out there as well. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, so basically, you know, we, we, th- this whole minute starts with, uh, you know, him continuing his, 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 his I guess, rebuttal to, to Potter so at the end of yesterday's minute, uh, he says, do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? And, you know, I would have expected Potter to, at this point, answer and say, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, too much to ask for. I mean, again, it goes back. That's right. It goes back to what we were talking about yesterday. That Potter it wants everyone to need him, you know. And if you don't have financial security, then you need Potter. So that that sort of makes sense. So so for him to, to want to keep them down and keep them as rabble, and you know, keeping them. Uh, yes, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying. But you know, Potter and people like him are not the ones who want to do that. Hmm. Hmm. It's yeah. um. I don't know. So apparently, I, I did. 
it's not like an official like you know movie tie-in, but apparently there was a um a novelization of It's a Wonderful Life that came out like 50 years later or something. I don't know if it's worth tracking down. Um, I mean, I have a copy of the script. I have a copy of the script, which is pretty much word for word. And there was also a stage play that is a shorter script that they that that I also got from that. But, you know, I decided this season not to really talk, not to talk about the differences because it's almost word for word. You know, there isn't much to to really uh, change that. I just wonder, like, little things in terms of, like, characterization. Like, although Apanis' novelization is only 180 pages, so I can't really imagine it's doing... It must have cut out a lot of stuff or something, but... um, Just in terms of Potter's novel, his characterization uh, in that, like, wanting people to need him is that, like, you know, again, he doesn't seem like he has many people around him except for people who are paid to be there. Uh, no, he, he must have people that are running to him that need his help, that they want to well, that, that need his, that need loans from him. You know that not not necessarily friends. The people that are around him are the people who are directly serving him. But you know the that, fact that, that, that other the, people might need him or need his help, you know, at a cost. He doesn't care. Again, I think that may be. Again, there could be a potential the, the tragic side of Potter. It's just like, yeah, he doesn't know. He has nobody else. So that's that's why he he wants to be in this position. He wants people to need him because otherwise, no one would talk to him. That's like right. he would just he he would literally just be sat by himself all the time. It could become out not so much a, you know, and you know it's always going to be in part like a money grubbing capitalistic venture on his part, but also it could be that he's genuinely a very lonely man. And at this at this point in his life, where he has no wife, he's no family, he's got nothing. He doesn't know how else to socialize with people because he was raised to be this way that he just needs people to come to him like right. it's, it's more of a if i if i don't have these people if i don't have the rabble i have nobody like it's, correct it's, it's but there, there's problem, also so. here's some interesting things that you you probably don't know in the in one of the original scripts or the earlier scripts of of this movie the the idea was is that george and harry uh, we're playing, I think, baseball, and the ball went into Potter's uh, yard, and they went there, and they he started chasing them. And when he was chasing them, that's when Harry fell into the water and needed to be saved. Oh, you know that type okay. of thing. Um, we do see, we do see in the movie itself. <laughs> I was gonna have convinced it was gonna be that, like, as he's chasing them, he falls over and like breaks his back or something. And it was yeah. gonna be the Bailey boys actually put him in that wheelchair. It's like, oh wow, that would really change the movie. To be fair, um, right? I mean, but that, yeah, that would have been so. Therefore, he would blame the Baileys for him being a cripple. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It could be like that was, kind that of the old uh, Mr. Potter was never the same way after the Bailey's broken. No, but he was chasing the if, if he's chasing the kids in the first place, that's already you know. Uh, yeah, they broke hmm. his window. Like well, that's a, it's just standard procedure. Someone right. breaks your window, you, okay. you chase after them. Yeah. Right, and in the movie itself, in the scenes in 1919 when they're when they're uh, sledding on the on the pond, you know, with the shovel. So you see in the background a sign that says "Property of uh, Henry Potter" or something like that. Meaning that they are right on his property or right next to his property when this is all going on. Uh, okay. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, it would be like, yeah, that'd be this is a little extra icing on the cake, though, if um, yeah, George Bailey lost his hearing on Potter property. <laughs> kind of like it's uh, right. And then Potter also been like, well, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. You got no one but yourself to blame. Um, That's right. But then again, it would be a tragic story. The fact that 
that you know George loses his hearing, but Potter loses the use of his legs. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's like both these these men they're killing each other. They're taking limb by limb. Literally, it's like the sequel comes. They come back. You know, one of them's got like a a metal jaw, like a fake eye and stuff. I was like, yeah, I lost my glass. I lost my good eye to George Bailey back in. <laughs> Well, that, then you're starting to get into, you know, like uh, Bond villains and stuff like that. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one thing yeah. they do. So I'm sure you've talked about as well. Like, um, I do kind of want to see. I'm surprised. Oh, to be fair, I've not looked. Um, you, yeah. know, so, you know, on, on the internet, all these things they, they, they might well exist if you dig deep enough. But, right. Uh, because obviously, you know, uh, Mrs. Deagle in Gremlins. Is so blatantly based on Potter. Yeah, of course. As well, this is one of one of anyone's ever done any like fan fiction of those two hooking up. Maybe that would have been the only thing. Or you could do also do like fan fiction of like, oh yeah, Gremlins is set in the same universe it's, of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and so Mrs. Deagle, she's actually like a you know uh, Potter's daughter. Was, was the or his daughter, or it's like this is his long lost love, or something. <laughs> like, so it's like, oh yeah, they have a thing together. But, because of course he's ageless, so it doesn't, Correct. you know, the age difference doesn't really matter. It's like, yes, you know, it's, it was their version of Twilight. It's like, yes, I was 17, he was 520. Like, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter when things get to that level. But the grand sweeping romance of like, yeah, what happens? And then George Bailey had to come and get those, those, those people gave him money, and my beloved died of a stroke that Christmas, that very Christmas night. Yeah. So yeah, she moves to Kingston, Kingston Falls. From like, Bedford Falls to Kingston Falls. Just one, one ranks to the other. Yeah, man. She's like, well, you know, it's something vaguely familiar. So I'll go to a town that's basically like Bedford Falls. But that's right. Yeah. That was always a weird thing too, because I think I saw Gremlins first. Uh, because I grew up on Gremlins, but I didn't see It's a Wonderful Life until I was in my teens. I so definitely it saw. Watching it. I definitely saw Gremlins first. Yeah, it was weird watching it. Then, been like, oh, and the more you more you watch both, you're like, it's a deliberate thing. They're making it be like the town, and it's a like, that's why it's got falls in the name and stuff. Because they're kind of they're they're riffing on the whole thing. I see, I see what they're doing here. Uh, Correct, but uh, but yeah, that, that's, I do also wonder too, like the if they uh, switched that the um, Potter chasing them thing. If they thought like, oh, he would, he wouldn't. Not so much that he, you know, that he's in a wheelchair. It's more that, oh, he wouldn't get up to do that. He would have his guy go and do that. Ah, like, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. You know, the guy next to him was just like, you know, he'd snap his fingers, and then this guy, who I get the vibe, never talks. Like he has that vibe about like, uh, it's a real I'm not paying you to talk kind of you know, thing. Or that, or it's like Potter's had his tongue removed or something. He's just mm, like, yes, I'm okay. <laughs> Now we're we're going into some very interesting territory. (laughs) (laughs) He's been he's been my he's been my side man for for seven hundred years now. (laughs) Like um, he'd just be praised for the release of death, but no, (laughs) I'm keeping him here. He's the only guy who knows how to uh, to darn my socks correctly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's very true. And and then uh, uh, George continues and goes anyway. My father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. So, again, I mean, George is doing his best to defend his father here. He's doing a great job uh, of the whole mm. thing, showing that that his father thought of people as people, not as cattle. So, 
Yeah. I, I actually looked up the 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 term of what cattle means. And what's very interesting, I mean, now nowadays we know what cattle means. Cattle means, you know, it's a group of cows or, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, animal like a cow. Uh, but mm-hmm. the original term of, of cattle from the 13th century, it meant property. Oh. And it, it took oh, about that's... 300 years till it started dis- de- describing cows. So by him saying... You know, that, that uh, you know, people are, were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. So it makes even more sense for, for it to be that way. He's not saying they're cows. He's basically saying to you, they're property. You know, you're just using mm-hmm. them to make money. That's it. Yeah. And, no, no, no. you know, it fits in. It fits in with the, the, the definition. Hmm. I do wonder if they, in, in writing the screenplay, if they were aware of that meaning, because it, it does work very, very well, but they might have been like, oh, we're, we're literally referring to cows here. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> it's very, very possible that that's what they meant, but, you know, it's, it's always nice to be able to, to look into it and decide on our own how we want to do it, you know. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can push things off a little bit, you know. I mean, like that's, that's, that's what, that's basically what Movies by Minutes uh, podcasting's all about as well. Yeah, of course. You know, so, Yes, am I, am I pushing this too far? No, <laughs> that's what you do when you look at these things in this much detail. Exactly, exactly. And then Potter screams back at him and goes, "Well, I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan." And then George turns to him and goes, "I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's going you. That's what you're talking about. I know. Well, I've said too much. I, I, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one more thing, though." This town needs this measly one-horse institution if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on, Uncle Billy. <laughs> so, again, I mean, this – I mentioned it yesterday. This whole diatribe or soliloquy by George is, is great because it shows specifically the whole idea of, who, you know, who, who George is. George, want, you know, on the one hand, he's trying to emulate his father. On the other hand, he's actually surpassed his father, mm. you know, by especially by the way he's defending. You know, he's not just at this point, he's not just defending his father. He's also defending the billion loan. That is something that's yeah. needed, you know, because beforehand we, we talked earlier in the week that that on the one hand, he was defending his father, but he was making fun of the, the building alone. But here he's, he's basically saying, well, the, the, this, this community needs the building alone because without this, you know, we, we got nothing. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, everyone has to, to deal with, with Potter and that's it. So, yeah. I mean, he's, I, I like the fact that he's in control, mm-hmm. you know, his, his whole, I mean, obviously this is a script and it must've been uh, rehearsed many times and stuff like that, but, but you can see that George is in control. He hasn't yeah. completely lost his temper. He's angry, um, but he's he's in a defensive mode, you know, trying mm-hmm. to make sure that that he can defend both his father's legacy and the building and loan at the same time, which I think is great. Yeah, you know, and I love the way that he uses the word galling. That's <laughs> you know. yeah, but the terms of. Um... A friend of mine used to have a, a girlfriend. Her, her last name was Gall. So I used to always use I used to always use that term around her just to just to try to gall her as well. But uh, so I was I was happy to see it pop up within these minutes. Do, do you know what do you, do you know what the official uh, um, definition of galling is? 
Uh, I understand it to mean some sort of be like taken aback and a little bit horrified by things. To be sort of aghast is to be, you know, sort of aghast is one of them. It could be. It could also be annoying, humiliating, irritating, exasperating, um, obsolete. Yeah, you know, things like that. But, but yeah, it, it's yeah, you, again, got, uh, you got the gist of it. Well, yeah, again, one of the Potter been afraid of being obsolete is also would work quite well for him as well too. Because if That's he right. starts letting these things go, then like, yeah, who's going? Who's ever going to need him? You know, so it's uh, yeah, it, yeah, it all it all blends beautifully together. That's right. Yeah, they they they, they do a, a nice job of that. You know, and he he talked earlier. He mentioned the fact that that he's a warped, uh, frustrated old man. So the whole idea of being warped is he's basically bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he, you know, he doesn't look at things in a straight fashion. You know, everything needs to be skewed somehow and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that works uh, quite, quite well the way that they, they have that there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, throughout this whole thing, George also shows how intelligent he is. You know, we can see yeah. that, that George has, uh, paid good attention to everything that's going on here. You know, he, he, on the one hand, he could talk about the fact that he is not happy about being in the, uh, the building and loan, but, but he still understands it. Yes. Yes. It's the, I think again, it all too is so like, he was almost out the door <laughs> as well. That's he right. Literally leaving. And so it's about like, it's, Again, it's almost Potter running his mouth too much. It's like if you just held back a little, man, you could have right. just you could have saved yourself the aggravation of just like that's right. Why why, why even him. argue? He would have he would have just closed down the building alone, and that would have been it. Yeah, yeah. but but it's but like I mean that goes to the core of George Bailey. George Bailey cannot allow that to happen. To him, yeah. it's it's yeah. important to to stand up for the little people, you know. Which again, that's mm. that's something that 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 most Capra movies talk about, you know, the idea of standing up for the, for, for the people who can't stand up for themselves and, and uh, you know, for the poor and for the weak. And again, which is, uh, goes back to what we were talking about, the fact that, you know, that there are some communist socialist uh, views of what this movie is trying to say from that very perspective. Yeah. But, but again, it still, it still works. You know, I think they, they do a nice job of, of the way that they, they present that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, always having to get, and also the, 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 the term that he uses one horse, uh, institution, mm. you know, which, which I like that. I mean, my interpretation of one, I, I tried looking it up and, and the only thing I could find was it's a wonderful life. Whenever I, I oh. looked that up, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. And, I, mean, but, I guess the, the term one horse town is be much more commonly used. Like that would be, I guess he's just doing a variation on, <laughs> on, on that terminology. With the you know swapping out town for institution, um, I mean my the, my personal interpretation of it means you know like usually uh, you have you know two horses that are pulling pulling a stagecoach or pulling a wagon or whatever it is, and the idea here is is that this is a poor institution that we can only afford one horse to do that, and therefore yeah. <laughs> therefore it's something that that will take longer to do. Yeah, yeah. You know we we, we the, have a destination. It's going to take us just longer to get there because we only have one horse pulling us as opposed to to two horses. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the the term always makes me think of uh, well, one horse town always makes me think of um, back in back in the, the 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 early years of Family Guy. Once it was you know when it was a watchable show <laughs> way back when. 
and they had one of their, one of their best cutaways, which is like, oh, you know, that one, the, that place has a one horse town. And it just cuts to like an empty town with like <laughs> one horse standing in the street going like, you shut up. No, you shut up. No, you shut up. <laughs> Talking to himself. <laughs> and it's going like, what was that? <gasps> the wind. <laughs> it was, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great joke. <laughs> Sounds like that. <laughs> yeah. And so Potter has to get the last word in here and he goes, sentimental hogwash. I want my motion. <laughs> I was that too. Then um, Lionel Barrymore played like Ebenezer Scrooge live on radio for like twenty straight years or something. He did as well. It's like you can really see that he's like, well, uh, I've kind of I could do Potter because I've I've done this character before. Like he might as well be saying Bah humbug, you know. Let them are there no poor houses? Are there no you know? What, what, actually, which which character do you think is is worse, Scrooge or Potter? Hmm. Well, I guess so, because I guess Scrooge goes into being worse because he does have the that the follow-up line of like, you know, going like, oh, many people would rather die than go into those places. Like, oh, perhaps they should and decrease the surplus population. Like that that that's a real level of callousness. I don't think Potter's actively just going, like, we'll just let people die in the streets. I don't care. Like, at least he still if he sees people as cattle, he's still getting something out of them. So I guess maybe he still wants people alive just in poverty <laughs> rather than Scrooge is just like, I don't care about anybody. Like they can die for a while. Like as long as I'm okay, I don't give a crap. Scrooge is very much, he's very closed off character. He only cares about himself. Whereas Potter does seem to have this little bit of like, he wants power over the community, but at least there's still, he's still got some level of engagement with people. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd say Scrooge is potentially worse than, than Potter. What, what, what do you think? Um, I actually think Potter's worse. <laughs> oh, okay, I don't. Okay. I, I don't think that Potter would be redeemed so easily by by three ghosts visiting him. Uh, <laughs> Again, though, there should be the modern should be Disney should be out there doing Ryan Gosling is Potter in, in like his own version of a Christmas Carol or something, where you <laughs> see like the the ghost of Christmas present is James Stewart and the ghost of Christmas past is. Uh, the, the, Mr. the Mrs. Deagle or whatever, whatever. Like it's now I'm kind of talking myself into making this. It's like, oh, maybe could I could I do a, a fan production of uh, Potter's Potter's Christmas Carol? <laughs> Don't know. And then the, the the Ghost of Christmas Future is obviously Peter Bailey. It's the it's the specter of Peter Bailey in a hood. And <laughs> yeah, that would actually be very interesting. You got something to pitch. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did find out recently because we talk about it a lot on uh, Miami minutes that there is in fact a website that will do. Um, if you go to them and ask like, is this, does this film have a novelization and are the rights available? Uh, they'll, they'll go and go, no, but we will, if you write it, we will publish it for you. And so there's a whole big kerfuffle where someone went to like a, a, an unauthorized version of um, the novelization of Halloween five and it caused a whole big stir in the internet for a bit and stuff. Uh, but we've been talking about like, we should be really doing a novelization of Miami connection that we can just hand to this company and then just get that printed with like a cool cover and stuff. And that'll be our project. Oh, wow. Now I'm kind of going like, yeah, maybe I could do it. It's a wonderful life. And then just add on a lengthy coda. That's just a Christmas Carol, but with Potter. It's like, yeah, the first 30 pages are is a wonderful life. The rest of it's secretly this project. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll market it as a it's a wonderful life novelization. You know, colon coda, uh, the the death of Henry Potter or whatever. 
who knows? <laughs> so I'm just going to envision now, though, if it happened the same night and George Bailey's there with like all, all these people coming to his house, if Potter just showed up like, oh, George, my good friend, and came over and tried to hug him, do you think George Bailey would be like, oh, great, or be like, get the hell out of my, my house, Potter, you goddamn asshole. Like, if you really want to see that scenario, like the same, the same exact day, then it, Potter walks in too. He's like, oh, yeah, I was faking that the whole time. And everyone, the people just turn on him even more. And then he goes back and the ghosts are like, oh, yeah, I guess I uh, probably should have chose a different night. <laughs> right. But, but again, again, the, the, the whole thing, point. the whole thing with, with George, it happens at night. So, and, you know, Scrooge is redeemed first thing in the morning. So yeah. it would be a little strange. Uh, they wouldn't be able to figure, I mean, because again, the, the whole, bulk of this movie takes place you know uh in the wee hours of of the evening i guess you can say you know when george uh, decides he's gonna go uh you know get rid of the big the the, the greatest gift that he ever received i don't know <laughs> That's about yeah, that, like, interesting like, interesting to think about that though no. yeah it's about to, like yeah zuzu walking along and it's like you girls what day is it it's like mr potter <laughs> my dad told me to go fuck yourself <laughs> And he goes, go, go get me the biggest Christmas turkey you can find. <laughs> exactly. Uh, All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm making this project happen. There you go. I'm now, now you're, go for it. Go for it. I, I, you have my blessing to do it. I think it would, I think it would work. <laughs> All right, so every Thursday we have a segment called Jimmy Stewart Thursday, where my guests will give their five, their top five Jimmy Stewart uh, performances. So start with your number five and work your way up. Uh, okay, so yeah, this, this, this one was, um, this was almost a bit more of like, Jimmy Stewart's been in so many great movies. <laughs> he's, he was such, he's such a beloved and great actor. It was, it was tough narrowing these ones down, quite frankly. Um, so a lot of it I'm going more for I think his best performance his actual best performance. No, but start with number five, isn't it? Oh, okay, all right, all right. So start with number five. Um, I'd say I, this is only the bottom for in terms of his performance, but I actually think it's a movie I really, really, really love. Is uh, Bell Book and Candle? Oh yeah, which is sure. his. His his other Christmas classic that that kind of gets brushed under the rug. But I love if people haven't seen or encountered Bell Book and Candle. It's got uh, it's him reteaming with Kim Novak from uh, from Vertigo. Uh, and would would you uh, call it a, a you way, would call it a, a Christmas way. movie or more of a Halloween? No, no, it's a, I watch it every Christmas. It is a Christmas movie. It's, it's set over Christmas mm-hmm. um, and in, into the New Year. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, over yeah over Christmas in like the mid sixties, uh, early sixties. Kim Novak is a, a, a witch who runs a shop, and she sort of runs afoul of Jimmy Stewart, and eventually they fall in love. Um, but it, uh, and she's doing—it's kind of like a precursor to Bewitched. I'm pretty sure the people who made Bewitched just saw Bell, Book, and Candle, and were like, "Oh, we can make a TV show out of that," <laughs> and just went and ripped it off entirely because a lot of it's just Jimmy Stewart trying to cope with like the fact that his, you know, he—he's not aware that his girlfriend's a witch for most of it, but like it's him coping with all the weird stuff that's happening around him. Uh, as, as a result of her witchcraft, but the big thing about the, that movie, why I love it so much, is that uh, Kim Novak is part of like you know a, a coven, and the other members of the coven are Jack Lemon, uh, as like this kind of young, like hip, beatnik kind of witch, uh, and Elsa Lanchester, who of course is like you know famously the Bride of Frankenstein, was one of my favorite actresses. I absolutely love Elsa Lanchester, and so every year I watch 
Bell Book and Castle because I love Jimmy Stewart. I love Jack Lemmon. I love Elsa Lanchester. I think that's just a fantastic film. Technically, it's not actually a great movie, but the presence of those three actors. Uh, and Kim Novak's great too, but like she's just a very kind of cool character in the background. She doesn't get to do as much. Um, uh, so that, that's one. I, I highly recommend that film to people. But I say in terms of performance of Jimmy Stewart, he's kind of like coasting. He's not doing all that much uh, in terms of proper acting. Uh, then I'll say probably after that, um, Harvey, I put, movie I really, really love. Um, I think he's doing a great job in that as well. The sort of like, he's, he's a, a broken man, but broken in different ways to George Bailey. Like he's kind of gone into like, oh yeah, this guy's completely destroyed, but like he's gone into a different direction with it uh, this time, which is um, a, uh, you know, just really, really terrific film as well. Uh, then also put in a movie I just have a lot of sentimentality around because uh, I watch it with my my dad a lot is uh, the Glenn Miller story. Oh yeah, you know yeah. Jimmy Stewart played uh, the great infamous band leader, but it's an infamous famous band leader uh, Glenn Miller. And uh, yeah, this is a great you know warm, just convivial, just you know it's just classic James Stewart. It's, I, I don't know how much like James Stewart Glenn Miller was, but in my mind. That the the two are essentially the same man, um, and then I put uh, so that's three. So we've got two left. Um, then I guess I'd have to put Vertigo, which just feels a bit like you know I feel like everybody says Vertigo because <laughs> it's such a classic, but it's such a classic for a reason. And I guess that's because as much as you know I love, I love him in Rear Window and I love him as you know the shop around the corner, the warm, you know everybody's everyone's favorite uncle. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I love the fact that in Vertigo, he goes in a different direction with it. And also, he starts off that way, and then he becomes a much, much darker presence. It's a much more sinister movie. And it kind of makes you think, like, oh, yeah, this guy does have range. That he's, he becomes like a threatening, a weirdly threatening presence throughout it. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really, really terrific performance. Uh, and then, yeah, number one is this movie. Uh, he, the, Jimmy Stewart is fantastic in this film. And there's a... There's, I think because it was a, I think he was riffing a lot on his own sort of PTSD from World War II when he was making it, right? Um, I believe you know, so. This was scene. the first movie that he made after World War II, yes. Yeah, and the scenes of him, like particularly when George is at his lowest, and there's a real genuine rawness in in Stewart's performance, and it's so like you can really, really feel the emotion pouring off, particularly, you know, because some older films too can be a bit stagey and they can be a bit, you know, a bit rusty because it's all stage actors coming in and they're not quite sure how to present on camera the way, because they're used to letting everything, you know, play into the back seats, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a real, there's a real intimacy in some of his scenes and you really, really get into the soul of George Bailey. Um, and yeah, he's, he does, does an absolutely fantastic. Uh, performance in this film. So I, I would put this as um, it would be my favorite Jimmy Stewart movie if I, if I had to choose between this and Bell, Book, and Candle. I'll be like, oh, I'm going for the, I'm going for the crazy witch movie he made. Because um, the fact that that's a more fun movie. But I have to say, in terms of actual performance by the actor, this would be the. I think this is his best work for for sure, for sure. Uh, although what, what's what's your favorite, Rob? Ah, you, uh, you're gonna have to wait. Season? You're gonna have to wait until the final episode this season to find out what, uh, where uh, okay. where that works. Yeah, sorry, you're gonna have to, you have to hold what? out another another movie. almost hundred. That's right, you're gonna have to wait almost a hundred uh, more episodes to to find that out. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
They say every time a bell rings, movie Rob finally reveals his uh, that's right his favorite Jimmy Stewart movie. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now you want to once again tell people uh, where they can find uh, Niall McGowan. Uh, well, also, uh, you know, you can find me uh, on all normal social media. You know, the only one not podcast related that'll plug a bit is uh, I am on Instagram these days uh, under the name Doodle Soup eighty nine. That's where I put up a lot of my artwork. I do I do art from time to time. Uh, if you look at you know the Batman logos and stuff, I I made all those. Uh, and yeah, and mostly Instagram is just uh, it's just me messing around putting up artwork and sharing memes uh, and having little chats with people from time to time. Um, it's a very pleasant experience over there. Um, so yeah, you can find, you can find me on that. If, if, if you know, uh, for, for non-podcasting things, uh, you know, I'm not on uh, Twitter or anything. I'm on Facebook too, but you just see you know, it. anything over there. I don't know why you want to talk to me as a <laughs> random stranger. So yeah, never know. Maybe they do. Yeah, Why not? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sometimes, sometimes we've had some weird messages coming in the Batman Instagram. Let me tell you as well. There's some people, <laughs> particularly when we we're going through the Schumacher. Genuinely, there was there's, there's one person in particular kept messaging, who has like a a distinct fetish for certain scenes in those Schumacher movies, and seemed to think that we also did. <laughs> and it was a bit like, okay, man, like I don't know what you want us to say to you know. Up to these very sleazy messages of talking about like how hot this scene is, but we're like, you know, thumbs up, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so please don't send me messages like that. Send send that to the Bat Minutes uh, Instagram by all means. All right, <laughs> but just not not my personal. <laughs> there you go. Makes sense. All right. So and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, Move Around Minutes. Dot com. So now you feel like coming back again tomorrow to to finally get out of this room? We've been stuck in this room for four days. <laughs> gonna dust my feet off of this one horse room and, <laughs> and go out and see the big wide bank outside. All right. <laughs> Great. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly. Truly Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.